So I'm going all the way to the other end of the Bible today. I'll be in Revelation chapter 5. You can turn there. Um, and the reason I chose this was because of my trip to the Czech Republic. Uh, for the conference, I had a series of four messages that I was able to preach. And uh, the first one was on the birth of the church. First, Christ's promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then um, I talked about the message of the church, which is a clear gospel message. Then I moved on to an example of a biblical local church, and I took that from Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonians is definitely uh, my favorite example of a, uh, a godly, godly church. And then I had the thrill of talking about the church united in heaven, and that is from Revelation chapter 5. So this scene in Revelation chapter 5, we read John saying, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I just want you to get your mind centered on the fact that this is a heavenly scene. This is taking place in heaven in the throne room of God. With that, let's go to prayer and entrust our time to the Lord. Father, we pray that as we break open your word today that it would bring much encouragement and refreshment to the saints' souls. Lord, that we would see you in all your splendor, the lion and the lamb, the lamb that took away the sins of the world. Father, we pray your blessing upon this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned that this is a heavenly scene, you can see that if you just go back one chapter to chapter 4. Chapter 4 tells us very clearly uh, where John is. It says, after these things, verse 1, I looked up and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here. So John is being called in his vision up into heaven, into the very throne room of God. Verse 2, he says, Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. He goes on. He, he, was, like a, he was like a jasper stone, a sardius in appearance, and, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. All this is comparative language. It's beyond John's ability to say exactly what it was. So he says, it was like, it was as. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders. Now we'll be talking about those 24 elders again here in chapter 5 when we get to it, but I just want you to know that they're in heaven. And they're clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. You see, the church is in heaven. The 24 elders represent the church. And the church is in heaven. This is a post-rapture situation. It's since Jesus has called the church up into heaven, and now we're getting a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. The Greek word ekklesia, which is used for church, is used 19 times in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. And then you do not hear anything about the church again until Revelation twenty-two sixteen, it's not mentioned the ecclesia, the twenty-four elders of Romans four, or excuse me, Revelation four four are representative of the church in heaven, and seem to be so in Revelation four four and verse ten, in Revelation five five, 
In Revelation 7, 11, and 13, and 11, 16, and then 14, 3, and 19, 4, all mention the 24 elders. The elders appear at least 12 times in these verses, and every time they are in heaven worshiping him who sits on the throne and the Lamb. So this is the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, in heaven after he has raptured us off the earth. Now, if you look at verses 5 and following, out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, all representing the Holy Spirit, seven in number of completion. And before the throne, there was something like a, a sea of glass, I love this, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. They're angelic. These are four angelic beings. How do we know that? Well, in verse 7, the first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings. Does that sound familiar? Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. And what are they saying in the the very end of that verse? Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will bow down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So hopefully, this takes you into the throne room of God. And then verse 5 says, John says, I saw, as he's in the throne room of God. And what did he see? He sees a book. He sees a scroll. And it's sealed with seven seals. Now, It's not a book like we have books, like the Bible, our Bible. It's a scroll. It was rolled up. It was parchment or possibly animal skins. And it was rolled up. And to read it, you would have to unroll it. It had writing on the inside, obviously. But there was writing on the outside, which was kind of like a table of contents, a general understanding of what the inside would tell you more in detail. And then important documents of that time were sealed with a a, a wax seal, and then you'd stamp your seal on top of it. If it was a real important document, like the deed to a very important land, it might have three witnesses with three seals on it. This one had seven. Seven seals. The scroll is actually the title deed to the earth. Three times in the Gospel of John, he refers to the devil as a ruler of this world. Paul calls the devil the God of this age. But the most significant designation of the devil in this respect is written by John in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 19, where he actually says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Look around you. We're seeing it come to fruition, way more so than we've seen it in years past. Kind of a protected country this one was. 
past tense. I believe God's hands lifted off of us and he's given us over. Uh, And we just see the results of that. God originally gave the dominion of the earth to Adam back in Genesis. But through our first parents' sin and rebellion, they, they abdicated that dominion to the devil. And he usurped his possession and his position as being the ruler of this, this world. But God determined that Jesus Christ is the only rightful ruler of this earth. And, and when he died on the cross, he atoned for sin and crushed the head of Satan by redeeming a people for his name. And he destroyed the usurper's claim to this world. And Paul says as much in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, just designating that this is everywhere, everywhere. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. He's over all to the glory of God the Father. Now when we take into consideration what's inside the scroll, as each of the seven seals are broken, and if you want to find out what's inside the scroll, read Revelation 6 through 18. And it'll tell you what's, those, what's inside the scroll. And the collimation being the second coming of Jesus to the earth to set up his millennial kingdom. It's obvious that the scroll represents the title deed to the earth. Then we look at verses 2 through 4 of chapter 5. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep because no one was found worthy to open the book. Who's worthy to open this scroll? It's a fair question. All of heaven is waiting in anticipation. Where is there someone who is worthy to open this title deed? And the word used for worthy here is a Greek word that that means someone with proper weight, the gravitas, the, the dignity, the the sufficient, capable, fit, competent one to open this scroll. And it's only as we observe the rest of Revelation 5 that we witness the depth and the extent of the character possessed by the one who is worthy to open that scroll. But initially there's no one found. No one. Anywhere. A staggering thought that there is was no one found in existence, found to be worthy. Scouring every corner of the earth, no one. Look into the secret places of heaven, no one. John used a threefold division that followed the Old Testament pattern of identifying the entire realm of existence, and no one was able, no one was worthy, no one can do the job and open that scroll. And it drove John to tears. He goes into deep despair. There's nothing left for him because he knew what was inside the scroll from the overview that was written on the back of it, but nobody was found to open those seals so he could see it in detail what was going to take place. And he just began to cry because there is no one found anywhere but Jesus. 
But Jesus, people, the overwhelming waves of peace and assurance when Jesus is found. He is the only one who is able, the only one who is worthy, and the only one sufficient and capable, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. John was weeping, and Jesus appeared. Jesus Christ, he can do what no one else could. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is ready, he is able, he is willing, and he is present. Call on him today in your need. Call on him. He is able. He will amaze you with what he can do. And then we read about the lion and the lamb in verses 5 through 7. And one of the elders said to John, Stop crying. Pick yourself up here. Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the 24 elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, if I had time, I'd take you back to Daniel, and I'd I'd show you that that is the ancient of days who's sitting on the throne. And the lamb goes up and takes it from the ancient of days' hands, Father God, and he takes that scroll. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. John informed the one to take the seal and open it. That was he. Quit crying, John, and look at who it is. He's the root of David. Behold, the root of David. And here is his right reign as king over the earth, Taken from Isaiah 11, it says this, Springing from the stem of Jesse, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and he will judge the righteous and, or with righteousness, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And Romans 15.12 identifies Jesus like this, There shall come the root of Jesse, And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. This is the one that's worthy to open the seals and read the scroll. It's a fierce king that comes with great judgment to reign and to rule. He has the power to bring it all to pass. But as majestic as he is, he's also meek. He's a lion, but he is a lamb as if slain. The majesty and meekness of Jesus are combined here in one picture displaying for us the humiliation of his death on the cross, the prince of life, and the glory of his resurrection. John would surely have remembered the Baptist declaration, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John was the only one to record with these words that statement in his gospel And so he says, I saw a lamb standing as if slain. And the very marks of Jesus' great sacrifice must have remained on him somehow because the lamb is Jesus, the lion is Jesus, the root of David is Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected, and glorified, and there he is in front of John. The lamb at the throne. 
He's the one worthy to take that scroll and open its seals. And it is he alone who is able and worthy, the only one who is found in heaven and on earth, and to take the scroll and to open its seals. And he does just that. And you can read about it in the following chapters of Revelation. And oh, what comes from opening those seven seals. He took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, the Ancient of Days. Now this is the crescendo in time, all time. This is the pinnacle right here. And it's the climax of all existence. The entire created universe, devastatingly marred through sin and in the death grip of the usurper, has groaned and longed for one worthy to take back what is rightfully his. The king has returned. He's ready. He's revealed and he's ready to take back the earth and all that's in it and to bring it under his rightful reign. And now it's going to begin with Jesus, the Lamb, taking into his hands the title deed of the earth as the only one worthy to open that book. And Jesus will open the seals and one by one and step by step, he'll begin the process of taking back control of the world. And the steps necessary for preparing the world for its rightful ruler will involve a period of judgment on the earth and her inhabitants as never before seen. This is the seven years of tribulation that we talk about. The time of Jacob's trouble. Now look at heaven's response in verses 8 through 10. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls of fulls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. And you have made them to be kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. The appearance of the Lamb as he moves to take the scroll causes praise to break out from everywhere in the universe. And the praise accelerates in an ascending crescendo of worship. The oratorio of redemption reaches its climax here. The spontaneous outburst of worship is a result of the realization that the long-awaited defeat of sin and death and Satan is at hand. And Jesus Christ will now return to the earth in magnificent triumph to set up his glorious millennial kingdom, but not after, until after the seven years. In Genesis 19, 11, let me read to you what it says there because this is the, the end of that seven-year period. And we read, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges the wages of war. In his eyes are a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself, and he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's us. That's the church that was in heaven with him, right in this vision of John, the redeemed, who sang the song of the redeemed, are now returning to earth with Jesus Christ to take his rightful place as a king, to sit on the throne finally. 
(laughs) What a future we have. What a future we have. You see, the devastating curse of sin will be reversed. Israel will be saved, and the church will be honored. There are four things that are out of place because of the devil. The first is the church, which should be in heaven. The second is Israel, which should be at peace in the land given to her by God. The third is Satan, who should be in the lake of fire. And the fourth is Christ, who should be seated on his throne from which he reigns. And now, at this point in Revelation 5, we see it's all going to come together. All these anomalies will be put right by Jesus Christ. It's all going to begin to fit together again. The bowls of incense are the prayers of the saints who through the ages have prayed for redemption which will now be realized. And both harps and song are sung by the 24 elders. They're not angels, they're men. Elders are always men. They're never referred to as, as, as angels. And also, one other reason that I believe these to be men and not angels is because they're singing the song of the redeemed. Angels don't get redeemed. Only sinful men are redeemed. <laughs> and their, their song of redemption extols God for delivering and redeeming people from every tribe. That means a group affiliated by kinship or habitation or, or tongue And that's a group related through languages or people or kindred. That's a large group of people forming one country or nation. It describes the ethne or ethnic groupings of people. And in Revelation 5, on that day, every eye will be fixed on the Lamb, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he will, we'll all sing together that song, worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And what we've just witnessed in these few verses of chapter 5 should cause every one of us to consider doing a critical reset in our hearts as we hear these things. Number one, for those of you who do not see Jesus as a person he truly is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, because I know in a group this large, not everyone has truly submitted themselves to the Lordship of Christ, repented from their sin, and accepted him as their Lord and Savior, so they have a personal relationship with him. And I say to you, reset. Reset your heart. We don't know when he's going to return to take his church to heaven. It's called the rapture. could come at any time. Would to God it would come today. But if you don't know him personally as your Lord and Savior, you won't be going. Secondly, for those who have lost their spiritual fervor and they've been just plodding along, going through the motions with little heart, little prayer, little Bible reading, reset. Remove the sin that so easily entangles you and and see what you can be. Begin to live again in the freely bestowed joy that Christ won for you at the cross because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Reset. Thirdly, for those who are faithful and true, who are serving, but who have become weary and tired. (laughs) Reset. Be filled with wonder at your Lord and Savior Jesus anew and begin again to eagerly wait for his return. Look to the skies, because in the same way that he left, he'll be returning. He's promised to rescue us from the wrath to come. I'm not worried about the tribulation. 
Not a bit. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. 